Hello everybody and welcome to episode 74 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, we saw some more films. I went back into the vault. Yes, that one. No, it wasn't a dream. The Crash remaster was in fact harder. R.I.P. the new 3DS. And our book club this week covers the red-headed stepchild of the 3D Mario series, Super Mario Sunshine. Let's start the show. As always, I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am on the couch each and every week by a very full, very sleepy platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. I might let you just do a solo show this week. I might just go for a nap. We we had some lunch yeah, today. we had I all was, the lunch. I've been away on assignment all week. I'm, I'm house-sitting, um, so I came in today. We went to popular chain Nando's for lunch, and it turned into more of a banquet than a lunch. Yeah. Inadvertently, that wasn't. It wasn't like we went in and went. No, we fancy even more food. It was um, partially the, the fault of the chefs and partially my the fault of my stomach um, yeah. for taking all of your side orders. Yeah, but, I mean, so, fairness, they had put the, so, the so side here, orders. So here's what happened. I, I think it was a case of like that there was new staff there that were working in the kitchen or something like that. And things were all getting mixed up, and a bunch of people, including us, had arrived in all at the one time. And uh, what I had ordered, my, my traditional order, is the, the chicken thighs, um, because I find I don't find myself uncomfortably full after having those like I used to when I used to eat the half chicken. Um, so my my order of chicken thighs was holding things up, and they were very apologetic. And now, as you must, you and myself, Mark, we discussed is like we're in those situations. We're never the angry dickheads shouting at people in those because we've worked those kind of jobs. Like neither of us have actually worked in a restaurant, but we've worked the kind of retail jobs. I've worked in retail for ten years, and yeah. three of those years was in a bakery. I've worked so. in retail, and I've worked as we discussed in the hospitality industry. Yeah. Both of those have given me a level of tolerance for people who are just doing their jobs, mm-hmm. because these people don't arrive with the intention of fucking up your day, and you need to realize that they're just doing the best they can. So we were very nice about it, and we had been told we could score a couple of free desserts for the trouble for having to wait. Banging. Like. 15 minutes more than we normally would have but then on top of that your food arrived first and you were so hungry you didn't realise you were eating the wrong sides they'd put the wrong sides with the with your food I mean I presume they were just wrong because I don't know of any maniac that would order chips and mash uh, yeah. like if you've got one potato based substance uh-huh. it was more of a thing where I got up there and I wanted mash and garlic bread and I usually get so chips, chips and garlic no but garlic. I usually get the chips and garlic bread okay. and I panicked and went halfway with both <laughs> orders but I said, you know what? I'm going to commit to this. All right, okay, fair enough. So there I was. Um, so yeah, you ended up eating about three and a half sides because they ended up coming back with my correct sides as well as your correct sides. Yeah. So you had your, what you, your your sunset burger. You had about half a thing of spicy rice, about half of the salad, plus a portion of mash and a portion of puree fries, followed by a caramel cheesecake. I wonder how they do, do the mash there because the mash in Nando's is is pretty good like yeah I, I, it's not not dave 
Dave's standards oh, match. Well, you make some good match. Oh, well, thank you very much. This is a really fucking pointless intro. What, what are we talking about here? Yeah, well, that's, that's that's the intro for you. Fucking it, nonsense altogether. This um, how menial our lives actually are at this point. Yeah, but let's talk about lunch on the Sweet. podcast. Sweet. No doubt we've made anyone listening to this quite hungry now. <laughs> My apologies. Oh, I've just um, off. We've seen some films the last few weeks. I've seen quite like a few films. The, the start of Link to the Cast now, I think the last few weeks has been just fucking film cast. Yeah. We're coming for you, Kermode. Look, I don't think any of us, either of us. No. I love Mark Kermode. He's, he's good. I love very much. Like, when I was in London um, last summer, I happened to know that he was around the South Bank at the BFI there. Around the same time I just happened to be there. I was on Twitter. I was keeping an eye out for the man yeah. just to see if that quiff is as impressive in real life as it is. I, I think the thing with him as well is like with say like a Roger Ebert I feel like sometimes there was just a kind of a hot take that went against the grain but I feel with Commode, he's always pretty much on the money of no this film yeah, is actually I'm, good or this film isn't actually I'm fairly good. consistent in agreeing with him on most things. I think the one big thing that he and I disagree on is uh, Quentin Tarantino. He hates Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I mean, with anything Tarantino, after Jackie Brown, he says Jackie Brown is Tarantino's greatest film, and everything else after that has been trash. Look, here, here's the thing with Tarantino, it's a it's pure marmite. You know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You love him, or you or you you very much don't. Um, but anyway, let's shoot with the one that we we we've both seen first, and that's Despicable Me Three. I think that's the the one I have the least to say about. We're gonna go for a real in depth analysis. Yeah, like I like animated movies. I like kids movies. I think I like anybody. I think, yeah, I think anybody who has the um, the whole uh, kids movies thing in this day and age is a bit silly. Yeah, because I think kids movies for the longest time now have had just enough content in there for the adults to keep them going. Sure. Um, like particularly, there's a thread of '80s nostalgia in Despicable Me Three that's that's very much targeted at the parents that are. Sure. I think the thing with me as well is I haven't had minion burnout, and I think that's partially down to not having kids. You yeah. know? Um, but like now, a friend of the show, Sean McGee, he has minion burnout. Oh, really, does he? He was the one who pointed out to me, and this is incredible, right? Think about the last 24-hour period in your life you went through yeah. without seeing or hearing of minions. <laughs> he tweeted that once, and I went, holy shit. Yeah, sure. I, actually, it's you can't go into like pretty much any kind of retail shop and not nope. see something yeah. that has minions on it. Uh-huh. Even like if I go into fucking Lidl, uh-huh. like there was a whole. Or go on Facebook without someone who has like some sort of minion-related meme posted. There was a whole like houseware section, but it was all <laughs> minions, whether it's pillows mm. or fucking toothbrushes, whatever. All yeah. got those little yellow bastards on the side of it. Mm. But the film's fine. It's fine. I think yeah. it's the. I think it's uh, if you take it as a four-film series because it's the three Despicable Me's and then yeah, the one. Minions. Minions standalone. I think it's the weakest one of the four. Yep, that's fair. Um, I, I really enjoy Minions. Yeah, there, there, the other three I was consistently laughing during. This one I would say I was consistently chuckling yep. during. I don't think there was any where I laughed out loud, like huge pop laugh. But uh, I was entertained while I was there, and that's really, you know, all you can ask for sometimes. Yeah, I will say that. Um... Like, the first Despicable Me is is a genuinely funny film. Like, you do mm. laugh from beginning to end. This one, it does feel like the steam has kind of run out. Mm. Um, and surprisingly, they don't... Like, because they go more for the uh, kind of personal stuff with, with Gru. And they actually, like, put the minions to the side. Which, yeah. it, you this feels like there's a level of self-awareness. Like, yeah, that, we use we the minions a lot. If we keep putting them in the front, we burn it out. But the problem is the minions are still kind of the best bits of those films. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
uh like the, the bit in the prison uh That's so good was probably the highlight of the film um so yeah it's it's fine was not expecting like the west side story references no no i was not great shit um and trey parker is uh plays the part of trey parker from south park's Mm. trey parker if you didn't know you know pretty like pretty quickly because there's a guy who like we said his his voices in south park are a hundred variations on his actual voice that aren't (laughs) too far away um but yeah he was good um, yeah, I, 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 again, it was all towards the old eighties, early nineties nostalgia, even because like he definitely is re- his character is reminiscent of that era where there was a lot of TV shows like Power Rangers, which were toy brands first, and then a TV show to sell the toys. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, like no one's coasting it, you know. I think nah. Steve Carell does a good job as yeah. always, uh, and. and Trey has That's the only series that... of it, like Kristen Wiig is in it, and I don't find her objectionable. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because normally myself and a friend of the show, Jack Lizelle, were talking about this over the weekend. About I've never gotten the Kristen Wiig thing. No. Like I'm a big SNL watcher. Never got Kristen Wiig. Like wow. people thought she was the second coming of fucking Bill Murray, and I'm like, I got, I got nothing. Um, like I think for my money, Kate McKinnon, who's on SNL now, is orders of magnitude funnier than she ever will be. Like just an expression from Kate McKinnon, and I'm pissing myself yeah, laughing. It's a fair shout. It's a fair shout. But anyway, that's that, that's besides the point. You've also now seen all of Castlevania. I have. I mean, it didn't take long. Yeah, <laughs> I've, very I've, seen short. The, I've seen the first part. Was it the first episode? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, like the first episode is very much the kind of catalyst for what happens over the next three episodes. So you've got an origins within an origin story because this, as we was talking about, and I think everyone's aware, it feels very much like a film that's been broken up into four pieces. Yeah. Um, but I will say that it's um, it's kind of anime, but not kind of anime. You know, it's, it's very much American. Yeah, it's a westernized interpretation of anime. Yeah, it's very like, much. It moves like anime, but there's something slightly off that makes you figure it's it's western. Yeah, it's you know, kind of like not the same animation style, but kind of in the way that like Samurai Jack is so anime but so western at the same time in a lot yes, of ways. Yes, although this still feels more anime than Samurai Jack. Oh, it does, yeah, cuz yeah. like like Samurai Jack doesn't follow the typical anime animation style, but no. it's just kind of a lot of the anime rules are followed. Yeah, it feels more in in tune with like Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. is is a good kind of sticking point. And that also goes in terms of um like the the western voice acting is great i think yeah. trevor belmont is uh, the the job done there is very very good he's it comes across very well um it's very violent it is yeah it, it is, is. Not oh, a kid's show. oh you just wait you just wait my friend <laughs> it gets violent uh yeah like i mean dracula's great dracula's fucking phenomenal um here's the thing like in terms of video game adaptations uh, and considering what there is to be worked with here because let's be honest Castlevania does have a story but it's not exactly it's very one. silly it's not one that is like narrated throughout the games until yeah. the, the latter ones where and it again, does get silly it's very silly yeah, yes. yeah but this is based off of Dracula's Curse which is uh, you know an early 90s Castlevania game mm-hmm. so very limited in terms of actual context to work with but I think that kind of works in its favour, you know. Um, they don't stray too far out of, of the realm of, of uh, absurdity, even though it is about vampires and whatnot. And it's over in two hours. And yeah. I...
came away for it like, yep, yeah, I definitely want to see more of this. <clears throat> I think the second season will be better because it will actually be fit for being a TV show rather than being a movie that was carved up. Well, this so is... I think the like the narrative arcs will feel less disjointed. This is the interesting thing as well, is because it feels like. Uh, you know this yeah this was a script that was cut into four pieces but now it's like okay are we going to be working from not well it's still all original content but like all right this was a, a the backbone of something we had to work with now we're pretty much on our own yeah so it'd be interesting to see how they pace that but uh but yeah definitely definitely worth checking out if you're anyway inclined with uh castlevania or anime or cartoons or anything of that that nature um another one i want to talk about and, and only really very briefly um a couple of films i saw uh, last week i saw the house have you heard of the house no what is the house the house is a, a comedy uh starring will ferrell and amy poehler and it's about like this kind of suburban mom and dad who are going to send off their their kid to college and they they realize through um a series of things unveiled in the first act that they don't they don't have the money so them and their kind of will ferrell's college mate who still hangs around with them um they are going to open a casino an illegal casino in his house and try and earn the money that way Mm. um and what what what's interesting about the movie to me is now i laughed and i laughed very loudly a lot of the way through this film but the script is fucking nonsense. Mm-hmm. The script is farcical. The The story is stupid. But what it is, is it's performances in it are brilliant. Like, I think if you if you hear Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler, you know you're in for a pretty decent time. Some of the supporting cast that's in there, like, it's a ridiculous. Like, if you follow kind of improv comics or stand-up, like, alt stand-up comics from the States, there are so many people in this and the movie I'm about to talk about after this that you will recognize. Like in this movie alone, you've got a big role from Nick Kroll, the Kroll Show. You'd know his face for sure. Okay. Um, Jason Manzukis, yep, sure, yep. star of a incredible podcast. How did this get made? Has a huge role. Like he's the third lead in the movie, and I did not know this wow. until I went to see it. But he's in a lot of the movie, and he's basically playing Jason Manzukis. Like okay. it's just a very man. It's very Zook's performance. He's great in it. Uh, there's comedians like Lennon Parham, Kyle Kinane is in it, uh, Cedric Yarbrough from if you ever watched Reno 911 back in the day, or actually, do you know who Cedric Yar- Yarbrough, who you might know him from? You've seen Black Dynamite, right? I have seen Black he Dynamite. He plays the character of Charlie Gideon. Oh, right, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> um, we haven't watched that film in about a year. Oh, we need to. I have it there yeah, on, on DVD. Um... Yeah, it was a, like it was it was a fun romp, you might say. So if you're looking for a kind of brainless comedy where you can just kind of not necessarily follow the the story because the story's not great, but there are some great moments. Like whenever it seems like they're improving, it's it's fucking great stuff. And the the other film I saw that I'm gonna finish off this segment with was The Big Sick, which is a so it's a movie produced by Joe Dapato, directed by Michael Showalter. And uh, starring and based around the life of comedian Kumail Nanjiani, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Pakistani-American comedian. And uh, it follows his real-life story of meeting his wife, um, Emily Gordon. And in the film, Emily... And it's her, her surname in the film isn't Gordon, but Emily is played by Zoe Kazan. And it's about how, like, he falls in love with her. He He kind of fucks it up for a while. And then, like... 
something massively traumatic happens and it's about him kind of getting to know her family while she is like sick with this kind of mysterious illness that's going yeah. on and um really really like that film film has a lot of heart like it's it's i suppose it's nominally a romantic comedy because it's a comedy about a romance but it's more than that like it has real heart to it which i think a lot of romantic comedies are very superficial and like are just more kind of mushy pulp fiction kind of romance than this which actually feels like a real relationship because it is one based on an actual relationship and things that happened um there's some great again there's some great guest stars in this movie Kamel Nanjiani himself is brilliant as the lead it's the first time he's been in a lead in a movie and I hope this is the start of bigger and better things for him Zoe Kazan is great she's not in a whole lot of the movie because of the the aforementioned illness kind of sidetracks her for vast swathes of the movie um I I, I kind of like a, a low-key fave of mine in it so there's um there's comedians who are around the comedy club because Kumail is obviously a comedian so you kind of get scenes of him in the green room before he goes on stage interacting with his mates who are played in this movie by A.D. Bryant from SNL who I love uh, Bo Burnham who I love and a man who I particularly love and was not expecting to do this film and every time he was on the screen I was in knots laughing Kurt Brownoller is fucking great as just their comedian friend who's kind of shit uh called gavin who's brilliant um and then her parents who are played by the odd mix of holly hunter and ray romano who i have probably not seen since everybody loves raymond jesus christ and he's here with a beard as kind of like a a useless impotent wimpy husband uh and, and it's brilliant there's some really good stuff and her brother or his Kamel's brother in it is played by the guy I can't remember his name for the life of me but he's great in everything I see him in he's the guy who played um, there's an excellent Channel 4 show called Utopia that was on a couple of years ago yep, I remember that he's the guy with one eye in it um, okay sure yeah. you know him yeah yeah. yeah. Um, really like truly excellent comedy the only thing it suffers from is the traditional anything with Judd Apatow's name on it you know it's automatically going to run about 20 minutes longer than it needs to <laughs> it feels like the last 20 minutes of that any one of the scenes could have been the ending you know um, so like it could have been tightened up a little bit in the editing but really good stuff if you like any any of those names I named go see it uh, it's out in a couple of weeks I saw it as part of the screen unseen with Odeon where I got to see it before it comes out I think it's out next week so definitely go see that if it is in a cinema near you. Shall we talk about video games, my friend? Let us do that. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Gonna let you fire away there, Mark. Cool. I will... I want to say that I'll finish up my now three-week-long review of Nier, but I get the feeling from having just finished my third run-through of it uh, and the responses I got from friend of the show, Chaz Ali, that I need to play the game another two times. So, but apparently they're not quite as long. All right, so I am about 35 to somewhere between 35 to 38 hours uh, into this game. I've done my third playthrough finished this morning, I hammered through my, my third one through last night to this morning. So, 
Here's here's the hot takes. Mm-hmm. The second playthrough of this game is completely fucking pointless. Yeah. Alright? I don't want to go into too much of a spoiler territory because I know that you want to play some of this game at some point. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have a look at it because it may crop up in some conversations. Sure. So, the crux of the story is based around uh, these two androids, 9S and 2B. In the first time you play the game, you play as the, the female android, uh, 2B. The second time around, you play as 9S. And you pretty much play the exact same campaign the whole way through, other than they have like differing branches of things that they do at certain points. But for the most part, you are together. And it's not really until the end that you do split off and, and go into different things. And each have kind of different abilities. Uh, 9S has this kind of... <coughs> hacking ability that feels like a kind of um like a mini uh r-type shooting game that was made in unity it's mm. kind of cool um but the the second playthrough of that game is a real chore and it, it introduces a couple of extra little bits um there's kind of one big twist if you will that's introduced that you don't get in the first playthrough but there's nothing there that's like that couldn't have been in that first playthrough, and it's not until you get to the third one that the game takes a twist and goes in a different does direction. It, does it feel like one of those things where like I constantly hear this about certain Final Fantasy games or something like that, and it's one of the reasons that I don't have patience for a lot of them is like where people say, "Oh, it's really after like the twentieth hour that it starts to get." Yeah. So like, does that really? In my head, it's always does that really justify me? No forcing myself yeah. through unpleasantness no well here's the thing right um and i i can't speak for the people that said that after 40 hours final fantasy 13 gets good yeah it was because, 13 wasn't yeah, it was the big one because i can't remember if that's like a, a storyline based kind of that's where it gets good or yeah. what, what the deal is to me grab me at the start or fuck off and here's the thing like, near, that's the way it should be but near grabs you at the start yeah you know like that first playthrough of that game is great um, you a little know, bit too long you said though because it's kind of repetitive though. well here's the thing you start to feel the burn of going around but it's not too bad but yeah. by the time you're into the second playthrough you're like fuck I'm just doing the same fucking thing again and I'm yeah. going to the same environments and what feels like a, a pretty uh, expansive vast area that you're exploring with all these kind of different bits of, of this world that you explore feels pretty small and pretty dull by the end of it um mm. like the game has some moments where it looks great like the bits out in the desert and certainly just the, the feel and the tone of the the music and when the musical cues kick in with certain parts of the desert you're in like i never got bored of that that was always great but like there are parts of um the the main city that feel very lifeless and very just very dull uh, borderline like you're playing a ps2 game at points it's an open world with nothing in it at points kind of yeah uh i mean it's not like a full-on sandbox open world game but it's more like they're 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 kind of like sacrificing content for scale kind of but they don't really get either you know they go they aim for, for for both but hit neither um my other issue that i have here's the thing Nier has a lot of great moments. Um, Some very, very kind of poignant, powerful moments. But it's filled with just inane bullshit fetch fetch quest missions in between that really hamper the experience. And... And I've said it a number of times over the last two reviews. The combat is just too average it's it, it you know i would actually prefer playing the combat from metal gear revengeance and i fucking oh. hate that game all right but 
I mean, they're both they're both on the same kind of wavelength in terms of being weird. Yeah. Because Nia is pretty friggin' weird uh, with a lot of its concepts and the way it approaches them. Um, but does Nier predict the presidency of Donald Trump in quite the same way that Metal Gear Revengeance does? It doesn't do that. I'll, gi- I'll give... Uh, I'll give Metal Gear Revengeance that. It doesn't quite get that down. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm stuck here and, you know, I know I'm not finished with the game. I know I have to play another two times. But the first and the third playthroughs, that feels like one continuous game. You're not playing the game the same time. Well, you are playing it the same time the first two times over. But then the third is its own entire kind of story, basically. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you go from one to three, that all threads through as one game, basically. Um, and I don't know where four and five fit into that, but we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I wait like, and see. It's I, I, I put, can't imagine at this point. Like it would have to be some next level shit to make you really hugely bring up your estimation. Of this yeah, because like, like it feels like you're pretty much set at where you think this game is. Yeah, because like the the twists that have occurred so far aren't particularly groundbreaking. Like you kind of see them coming. Um, like, there is some character development, but it's not, like, kind of, you know, it's nothing great by any means. Yeah. Um, but by the standards of video games, it's fine. Um, it's, the tweet I put out is that it's, it has too many flaws to be excellent, but it's too fucking weird to be called average, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I can't Could even. Could it be our like our, our good front runner for game no? Of the year? It's not. You don't because you can't even. Because I can't. Because with Meh, well, I, I I guess it depends on how you qualify Meh. Because like, what was our Meh game last year? Was it Mafia? Mafia Three. Yeah. Now, which again is like good and a lot of things good to it, but there's also a lot that I don't like the repetitiveness. See, for me, a Meh game is one that never hits a high. It's just a kind of constant, like. Yeah, to it's me, okay. it's like games that may hit highs in certain respects but then the stuff that drags it down from a like a nine or ten to a seven eight yeah see this just it has the highs hit home really well and it has enough good stuff about it that i don't know to, to call it a seven out of ten i, I just you know the the ascii it, t- it may take you the remaining five months or so of the year to figure out where this rates for you yeah you know the the ascii two shrugs emoji yeah that's my review yeah the one brian's t-shirt yeah yeah so fair. that's near Come back next week for hopefully the fucking end of this game and I can play Splatoon 2. I'm going to hit you with something that you may not have expected me to say before we sat down here, Mark. I've been playing Fallout 4 this week. <laughs> what? Yeah, so... I have, a, I have a question. Yeah. Why? Well, this is the thing, right? So I was sitting looking at it. I, like, it, it must have been that there was an update for it relatively recently that it popped back on near the front of my okay. um, PlayStation. I was like, you know what? Like, I deleted my save a long time ago, um, but I have it on the system. I was like, I was like, what? Like, I'm going away. I was like, I'm going away for two weeks, and I can't play any of the games I want to play that require online con- content, like, all the time. So I can't play Minecraft because the internet is a bit too inconsistent in the house I'm staying in. Um, I can't play Overwatch. I really wanted to get a bit into Overwatch over the summer, but that's not going to happen while I'm over there. And the other one that I've been kind of really flirting with the idea of buying is Elite Dangerous because it's out on PS4 now. I was actually talking to people on Twitter about that earlier on today mm. uh, as we record this. So I said, do you know what? Like, I I played 
I played Fallout 4 for about 10 hours, maybe. At launch, which is something you shouldn't do with a Bethesda Game Studios game. Uh-huh. You should always wait. Now, it has been nearly, and it, it, it fucking nearly creased me up when I realised this. It's been nearly two years since that game came out. That game feels like it came out last year. Yeah. They just, I, I don't know, just the passage of time, my friend. This came out around the same time as Metal Gear Solid. This came out like, and that's probably another reason why I, why my patience went with it. Because sure. I was like, I'm already playing this one open world game that, for all the stuff Konami was trying to do to that game to make it worse after release, it was still a better and more technically functional experience than Fallout 4 was at the time. So I said, I'll give another crack at Fallout 4. Because there was nothing I didn't like about the story. It was just more the, the technical problems of the game were what really snapped me on it. And um, I'm liking it a bit more this time around. Um, a lot of the really glaring technical issues that I was experiencing at the time have seemed to have been ironed out. That is not to say... I was going to say, after two years, you'd hope. That is not to say it still doesn't have technical issues. Yeah, it's still a Bethesda game. Yeah. Um, I, I also think the shooting isn't nearly as tight as I would like it to be in something like that. Like, obviously, you can still use your VAT system, which takes some of the, the process of aiming down sights out of it because you can just go into slow-mo and pick a limb and go with the percentages of hitting them. I don't really like doing that unless I, I, I kind of get pinned in and have to. So aiming down sights or using iron sights on a weapon is pretty, like, unreliable. There are times where I would swear blind I have something in my crosshairs or in my sights and I'll still miss. Whereas in another game, whether it's the fact that other games are more generous or other games are more hard, like, are more kind of, like tightly controlled that if it is down the sights you're gonna fucking hit the thing yeah um i i feel less in control of shooting in this than than normal um that said i'm learning from some of my state mistakes the first time around the one thing on the story that did burn it out for me was that i went down a whole quest route with the Minutemen, um who are one of the factions in it that i just wasn't feeling at all and i just completely burnt out on it i'm also this time around trying to build my stats into my carry like what i can carry with me because another one of the things that frustrated me because i think in the year 2017 and jim sterling i think did a video on this not long ago about how encumbrance is like the one thing that rpgs just can't seem to get over that they like putting in encumbrance as if people like that and people do like a challenge in rpgs but i think encumbrance like slowing you down to the point of near com being completely still because you're carrying too much is bollocks in this day and age um i think the witcher 3 has a very clever way out of that it does have encumbrance that slows Geralt down he stops being able to run he can still walk at normal speed if he gets on the horse which he can call with one button no matter where you are you can still move at full speed and it, crucially if you go into a combat situation with Geralt you get the full range of speed and motion back while you're in combat. So even though you are over encumbered it isn't at a detriment to your game progress. Sure. Whereas in Fallout I was getting annoyed because I'd be out in the middle of nowhere and I'd find a suit of power armor that's completely out of fuel so I have to carry it. I can't like I can't wear it and walk around. It won't move because it has no fuel. And I have to break it down and take it with me back to my settlement. 
but by taking it, I move at a glacial pace and can't fast travel either. So it's fucking like, I, I really didn't like that at all. So now on this playthrough, because I was kind of doing an even spread across all my stats in the last one, because I didn't know what to do. In this one, I'm going to start plowing into that so that that's not an issue for me because that was one of the big issues but the story is the story is pretty decent in it i think the conversation options are options are decent in it i think the hacking mini game in it is kind of clever um, wait what is it it's a kind of thing where you'll get a computer screen full of gibberish but with clear english words on it as well and if you pick a word that's in english on it it'll highlight the word you hit x You'll get, depending on how complicated it is or what your stats are in terms of your intelligence, your ability to hack machines and computer terminals, uh, it will give you a certain amount of chances to get which word it is right. And it will tell you, this word is incorrect, but two or three letters from this word are in the actual solution. Okay. So you can either get a notepad or there are actually a couple of websites on that will let you put in all the words that you see on the screen and it will tell you, okay you pick a word at random and then you click that word on the screen on your laptop and it'll say, right, how many letters were correct on this? You'll tell it and it will figure out what the actual solution is right. if you want a fast way around it. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of decent. Um, I think the, like the world building in those games is always, always pretty cool. Um, it's certainly more drenched in color than Fallout 3 because if you remember Fallout 3 it was just varying shades of green and brown that was they they were the in colors at the time yeah that was the the real height of the the green gray brown shooty game like gta 4 the modern warfare games were very kind of dampen the color and make it gritty oh gta 4 is not that bad i I still to this day it's the only one i'm not i'm not really on board with um shaking my head in disapproval well look when you're coming from like vice city yeah vice city is my favorite and it is so the opposite of that game yes it is um but yeah that's that's follow four so i'm probably gonna like dick around with it some more i think uh we're in that nice quiet time where there's not much coming out um as of recording today is the day where super hot is coming out on ps4 so that's probably going to take up a fair bit of my time um, because I am going to maybe try for the platinum on Super Hot because I fucking love Super Hot so much. I mean, I the thing is, I have no reverence for uh, Fallout. So I, I there's there's not much. I, I can... like Fallout Three a lot. I played that game. I like Fallout Three a lot. Um, my only problem with that was that once you complete the critical path for that game, it locks you out of going back and doing side quests. But yes. this one doesn't. I, I heard that was. Uh... Mm. My, the, I, I'm taking the advice people gave me on this one, which is play, um, don't get too far down uh, like the rabbit hole with side quests early on. Make a beeline for Diamond City. The critical path tries to get you to Diamond City, which is where apparently the whole game opens out and makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So I'm going to give it till like a couple hours after. I'm going to head to Diamond City now and I'm going to see what happens couple of hours after that i'll make my judgment call whether this is something i'm going to stay involved in or not so i'll give you an update next week well i'm just going to point out um the splatoon 2 reviews have dropped yeah and uh, apparently it's a very good game yeah because it's basically splatoon with more so good times yeah that's next week is it uh it's friday friday oh yeah gotta get down on friday so i get my switch on friday i believe oh yeah yeah so, exciting yeah. times mm. you get to find out if you are a squid or a kid 
I believe I'm a squid. Oh, well, let's find out. Well, we'll be talking about you. will have your in-depth Switch review then. What, what you make of that piece of kit. Now you oh, get yeah. Your hands around I suppose, it. yeah. Because you've only played mine. I played for bit. about, what, an hour, if that? Yeah, a couple of hours. Like, I've brought down for Mario Kart a couple of different times for you. Yeah, so, yeah, I haven't spent too much time with it. And then you spend one, like, 20-minute period shouting at Puyo Puyo Tetris. Yes, but. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to have a, a Switch, and I'm going to Splatoon 2, and then at some point I'll have Breath of the Wild. Uh-huh. And then goodbye you for the next You can say goodbye month. to you then, I'll yeah. get Brian on for the rest of the year. Sure. Uh, okay, right, let's talk about the news. News on the mark! In the news this week, uh, don't really have that much of an update up front on the Alex Mara situation, which is now in its fourth week. Things have kind of gone quiet there because the lawyers are working away on either side to try and figure out what the fuck is going on in this massive, massive shitstorm. Uh, but the, the one thing I wanted to report on, I don't know if you saw this, um, I think it was towards the end of last week, Destructoid did an article on the Alex Mara situation. Okay, and um, that's already a worrying start. Yeah, what's kind of problematic to me is that I always want to give publications the benefit of the doubt, give them the chance to do the in-depth coverage, because I, I think, at least early on, a lot of the video game publications are gone to shit. Uh, abuse that was being thrown at them was unfounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like to give them the chance to prove themselves that this is one occasion where the absolute opposite has happened. So if you, if you read it, I don't want to get into it because it's a fucking, I don't want to give it the clicks or send people that way. <laughs> sure. But Destructoid basically wrote an article about it and only took the information being fed to them directly from Alex Maurer as the proof on it. So it was, right. it was very much the woe is Alex Maurer poor uh, composer who's being ripped off and abused online and definitely there is that angle to it that like I, I've said every single week we've covered this story that no one should be abused online no matter how incorrect they are and she definitely very much is incorrect but at the same time I, I, I feel that if you're going to do a long form piece or a news piece um, in games media always always do your research do both sides make sure because there was no shortage of information for the other side of this argument <laughs> online all you have to do is google alex maurer's name and all the sid alpha videos and stuff like that are going to come up so very very poor piece of of journalism going on here which i think is only going to fuel the fire that for people that youtube people and and kind of independence are are the way forward which for anyone looking to make a solid career in formal games journalism is probably not what they want to hear no uh considering youtube is doing was it all it can to you know restrict the 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 money that can be made by just about anyone at this point Mm. um yeah this just continues to be a showering shit show yeah mark here's something that i I, I I can't believe I'm saying out loud. Atari, new console. <laughs> the fuck. Yeah. So uh, me and Oliver were having this discussion the other week, and we were speculating on what exactly this fucking thing would be. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it would be like their attempt at doing a NES Mini Classic with the twenty six hundred, or or whatever the case would be, or heaven forbid they'd be getting actually back into the hardware race and making the the long awaited sequel to the Atari Jaguar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, this is from MCV. Atari finally offered a first look at its new mysterious console after teasing the product at the E3 2017. Uh, called the Atari Box, it aims at delivering both classic gaming content and current gaming content. The announcement reads, without further details on what we should expect. Uh, so it has a front-facing logo, indicator lights that glow, uh, HDMI ports, four USB ports, an SD port. Uh, it tends to have a, a wood edition to keep, you know, with the sign of the times, mm -hmm. and a black and red edition. Now, the black and red edition that they actually got here looks pretty fucking sweet. Yeah, right? that's the one I saw. Yeah. Um, but other than that. Fuck knows, it says it's going to have classic gaming content and current gaming content. What the current gaming, like, is it, like, are they basically the Ouya now? That's what I was going to say, I immediately thought of Ouya. Yeah. There. That was the whole thing, wasn't it? Yeah, for about five minutes. Um, I it's still because, just... like, I, I got a mild chuckle where in the, the, the trailers for Blade Runner 2049, there's giant Atari logos. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's cute. You know, but I suppose they kind of have to go because Atari, was it, wasn't there Atari stuff in the... Atari references, maybe logos in the original Blade Runner, remember. so they have to continue with okay. that continuity that Atari still exists in the future. Did, did you see um, they were playing uh, some Atari console in the new Jumanji trailer, uh, except yeah. the graphics were like, you know, like mid-90s and they had four controllers. Yeah, it's, it's uh, just... There was fuck a, that movie. a lack of quality control going on there, Yeah, in all regards. Um, but yeah, any word on when this is coming or uh i don't think it had anything nope not up niche uh basically it, it gave us some uh idea that it would be playing what we expected which is older atari content but it's it's the current bit that has me highly intrigued yeah. um is this going to be like atari in-house did they even fucking have in-house developers anymore um, who kind of third party wise is going to jump on board like if they want to make an, an indie console platform box fine but I mean Switch is, is quickly dominating that market mm. so uh, I don't know fair play Atari but I uh, just don't know <laughs> keep on trying boys keep on trucking um, developer Vic uh, Vicarious Visions who are the studio that the, the Crash remaster that's kind of killing it in the UK charts at the moment was ported there uh, was well that the job of porting those games was given to them they they've come out this week and confirmed after a series of, of kind of comparison videos were put online that they have deliberately made the insane trilogy the remasters more difficult than the original versions which is exactly what the crash series needed was more difficulty so a, a load of prominent kind of YouTubers or, or Twitch gamers, people in that gaming kind of enthusiast space were putting uh, kind of old Crash versus new Crash videos and showing how jump distances, like jumps were falling shorter on the new one and they were trying to figure out why is it that this game feels off. Well, Vicarious Visions have stepped in to try and explain. Writing in a blog post, Kevin Kelly, hey. editorial manager of Activision K-Squared, <clears throat> said jumping in the crash bandicoot insane trilogy is not the same as the original particularly in the first game of the series it turns out even though the developer used crash bandicoot 3 warped as a starting point it ended up individually tuning each game's jumping mechanisms there are quite a few subtle different differences in crash bandicoot kelly said chief among these being the fact that you can fall more quickly upon release of the x button than you did in the original first game 
The jumping wasn't the only thing that felt off in the Crash Bandicoot remaster. Eurogame previously reported uh, how fans theorized Crash and Coco's collision box in the new trilogy is different than the originals, which makes players slip off surfaces accidentally. You can see this effect in... The, there's a guy, Ding Dong VG, who had been compiling all these differences. Kelly confirmed Vicarious Visions used a different playable character collision system in the remaster, but the developer did not go into details as to how it differs from the original. The upshot, however, is that he has acknowledged certain jumps require more precision than the originals. So it's it seems to me that um, where people aren't necessarily complaining, like as in saying, oh, this is terrible, it ruins the whole game, but it was more like people couldn't figure out what was off about it, and yeah. now it's kind of... Because they started off with a point of using Crash 3 mechanics, like, as the kind of the, the physics rules, shall we say, for this remastered trilogy, and then started tuning stuff, they decided to make the first one more difficult. And I think what the, the deal is, is that you're dealing with a game here that, you know, the original came out 20 years ago, and so you've had 20 years of people playing the original Crash game. Any kind of slight uh, tweak to the mechanics, yeah. the physicality. Yeah, your, your casual gamer probably isn't noticing these differences too much. No, but, you know, a speedrunner is yeah. definitely going to notice this. Yeah. And, and especially, well, this game how has online leaderboards and things like that, so yeah. there are people that will be speedrunning this. And I did notice this, and um, at the time, when we saw the first kind of gameplay footage, and I was looking at the jumping, and I was thinking, that looks... I mean, obviously, the game is graphically different in terms of being high up res mm. and whatnot but it's like yeah something looks different about the jumping yeah. it looks a little bit heavier like yeah. the first crash game is very floaty in, yeah in the way that crash jumps well the signs of it there like the fact that you will fall quicker from the release of the x button will explain that and yeah i i think because crash bandicoot is the kind of platformer where you you savor how difficult it is if you're a proper like fanatic about the series I think the fact that, as he said here, there's an increased precision required in the first game now is the, the kind of blanket term for it. I think for some people, the more open-minded in the community who don't want a one-to-one -one replica, I think that may be a welcome change for some of those people. The sure. fact that you have to... As well for a lot of people, like, how long has it been since you've proper hardcore played the original trilogy through? Uh, about six months ago. Oh, well, I mean, like, do, do you go through it regularly, or was it kind of after they were going to remaster it? No, I, I come back to it every now and again. Is um, it kind of like me with Mario 64, where every year or two I'll do well, a Well, I did full, it Mario 64 as well. I'll do, yeah, I'll yeah. do a full star run on that. Yeah, no, I, I come back to um, Crash Bandicoot every every year or two. Like, the first one I can hammer through in a couple of hours, yeah. and then Crash... You see how you would do in the new one. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to pick it up at some point. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, and kind and of report get, back. Yeah. Um, do some yeah. investigative well, interesting, journalism. like, I see, I'm someone who isn't a huge adherent because I was hardcore N64 at the sure. time. Crash Bandicoot's original trilogy completely passed me by. Whereas I do respect it as a series, it wasn't something I, I played all that much. Your old Nintendo is in the news. Uh, Nintendo has a kind of like half threatening, half uh, trying to be polite warning for rage quitters in Splatoon 2. Mark. Rage quitters, the worst of humanity, the taint of humanity. Uh, I don't know. I think people uh, whining about the gender of Doctor Who is more uh, egregious. I mean, than... you know, you know, it's all relative, really. Like when, you, <laughs> well, like when you're playing in a session, on like say FIFA or something, and you're racking up about like a six nil win, and someone rage quits all of a sudden. It's really fucking frustrating. Like rage quitting is something that not. 
as many developers as there should. Uh, there's very few developers who are actually putting the hammer down on these people and making it uh, a real risk to, to be a rage quitter. Uh, Nintendo are kind of here. They're 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 sort of saying that they're threatening you, but they're also being kind of nice about it. So if you're a rage quitter, um, in Splatoon two, this bubble will pop up on screen, and it says, "Your previous online play session didn't end naturally," which is all caps, pretty <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> if this keeps happening, we're gonna have to block you from playing online for a while. Make sure your internet isn't busted and try again. Which I think is about as nice a way around it as possible. And you wouldn't think Nintendo are the guys to come out and, and put the ban hammer down on that particular it, I This is phenomenon. interesting. Um, so I uh, have worked on uh, support for uh, a, a large online multiplayer game. And is it Tetris? It's not Tetris, no. <laughs> it was... Um, it's Tetrisphere. I knew no. it. <laughs> It was snake rattle and roll. <laughs> um, if you, it was it was an automatic like detected system. So we didn't yeah. actually go in and physically ban people. It was just like if you cut out like the the game recognizes that and puts you on a, a ten minute suspension or twenty four hour suspension or whatever, depending on how many repeat repeated suspensions. And God knows how many times players would come and say, "Oh, the the internet in my city wiped out," or you know the cat was on fire or whatever bollocks <laughs> always happens always happens um so i doubt we're going to get this as much because of the the kind of target audience he says mm-hmm. he says but I mean, hey look it's got to be you got to put it in there because yeah. you know if you have an online game and you have the ability where players can just rage quit it has to be there and you have to notify players and say I like, hey you've been I, suspended i like the gta online system for bad sports where if suspicious activity is being continuously noted that you're doing things not necessarily like rage quitting but you're just being a bit of a dick like uh, one of the things that can affect it is if you go and you know you can insure cars in that game on the the online version so if you go try and steal a car and tells you it's someone else's car and you go fuck that and you blow it up anyway yeah uh, and destroy it that affects this whatever invisible metric there is that eventually the next time you die you'll get thrown into a bad sports lobby okay where you will be stuck for i think a period of about 48 or 72 hours it was on the ps3 because uh, dan got stuck in one once for blowing up all our cars for the laugh right um you get stuck in there with other people who are just as <laughs> shitty as you <laughs> or worse Oh boy! And you just have to stay in the bold corner. And my favorite as well is that I don't know if it's still the case, but on the PS3 version at the time, you start off in the bad sports lobby and you're made to wear a giant dunce cap. Excellent, <laughs> which is makes it even better. I mean, I'd like to see that in Splatoon. Yeah, you know, you know what game? It, it's but that, re- like that, and that's a pretty good. Like, we're not going to bury you from online. If you're going to be a dickhead, we're throwing you in the corner yeah, with. The I mean, other it's dickheads. all kind of contextual with the game that you're playing. You know. Yeah. Um, but surprisingly, for the amount of hours I've put into it, Rocket League is is the one online game where, like, you you can forfeit the game, yeah. um, which is automatically gives the victory to the other team. Is it three now? Um, can't remember. Because usually in football games, it's an automatic three 0 if you forfeit. Um, oh no, it's just. I was just wondering if they copied that. that oh no, it's no, 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 no. It's just if you forfeit, you forfeit and you lose, and yeah. you know. Um, but that I mean that has to be um, because of the, if you're playing with like two other players or three other players, you all have to forfeit. Um, yeah. So the kind of the, the warning kind of springs up. 
Um, and you can quit the game and it will say oh, blah blah blah. But like for the most part, I've never really noticed it with with Rocket League as much, which is surprising because of how much time I've spent with it. Um, so I don't know whether that's just on the part of having the forfeit mechanic or it's just the community's like, look, this is... I think, like I think it's because it's only a five-minute game. Yeah, it's a five-minute game. It's so quick to enter and restart games yeah. as well that I, I think they're just like, ah, oh, like at worst, I just have to sit around here for another three minutes and continue to suck and then I'm in another game. So. Yeah, and I, I also think that after like a minute of inactivity, it kicks you out and brings someone else in. I think even as well, even in losing, that game is a lot of fun. True. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. There's a lot of online games that are fun while you're winning i think with rocket league <laughs> it's because the tide can turn so quickly with that yeah yeah like you could easily like score a, like a few goals in the space of 30 seconds yeah you know, just yeah. if things go a bit crazy or everybody runs at the ball and once and leaves the goals open speaking of splatoon uh we've noticed this week the the splatoon 2 merchandising and licensing game is strong we were talking over lunch today not to bring back up the infamous lunch again mark but uh we were talking about how people were sharing around images of uh they're getting into the like the the water gun market for the summer so, so you can get the the guns from splatoon as water guns which is a really cool idea Something that if I was a, like if I was a kid when Splatoon had come out, I would have been all over that shit at the start of my summer holidays, getting some splat doolies and going <laughs> around the place. It would have been pretty cool. Um, but Splatoon, Nintendo's comical paint-based brawler about squid-human hybrid children, is getting an anime spin-off. As reported by Japanese magazine Koro Koro, the series will premiere on Koro Koro's YouTube page on 12th of August. So it'll be a digital anime series. Uh, they already have a manga serialization of Splatoon in its magazine, so it seems likely this anime will follow along those lines. Whether it's a straight adaptation of that or a sequel is yet to be seen. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? It's great. Um, it's not the first foray uh, Nintendo have had into like a companion series for a game. When 3D World launched a couple of years ago, we had the Cat Mario anime oh, yeah, that was available did. through that horrible Wii U shop. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Never watched any of it, but you know, it's, it's a cool, cool idea because, yeah. like, a lot of those characters would lend themselves to some sort of fun cartoon series. As... I mean, Splatoon feels very much like a live action anime in yeah. some ways, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like sure. that. Um, fair play, Nintendo. Fair yeah, play. Nintendo continued to have a largely decent year in terms mm. of decision making. Toy Story is the latest world to be unveiled for the long-awaited, long-awaited Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, and this is kind of like, I have, I'm not going to get Kingdom Hearts 3, no real interest to start, for, apart from like, I look at screenshots of Kingdom Hearts 3, and go, oh, that is, yeah, that's, that, that. if I was into that, I'd be like, if I was into Final Fantasy type games, like the kind of like JRPG genre, shall we say, this would be right up my straza because I love Disney. Here's the thing, right? There are JRPG fans, mm -hmm. and then there are Kingdom Hearts fans, uh -huh. and there are a particular you know group of people. Hey, look, I don't, I don't I like begrudge anybody that's well into like I I begrudge I the people who have been going mental continuously for years about Kingdom Hearts three, and it's kind of funny to me at this point that it feels like with the two point eights and stuff like that that they are just being trolled. Um, but it was at the same time pretty cool to see that Toy Story world getting to like kind of mill around Andy's room in there is pretty cool. And at least, like, don't hold your breath, Kingdom Hearts fans, but they have said, uh, this was all coming from D3 D23, which is the big Disney 
version of Comic Con where it's all the Disney properties. Mm. Um, they have said that it's coming out in 2018. So, like Kingdom Hearts three fans, don't get too excited because you know you you know better than I do that you've been promised things before and not gotten them. So, I'm not get too hyped. There was actually a good bit of news coming out of that D23. Apparently, they showed the first footage of the Lion King. What was it they announced for? Uh, Will Smith is the genie, and uh, who they announced for Scar? Ah, oh, fuck. Should just be fucking Jeremy Irons again. It's let's all Jeremy. be honest. No, it was it was a pretty acceptable. Fuck, I need to look this up now. But uh, they also showed the first trailer, which is presumably going to leak online uh, once Comic Con starts, because they'll probably show it again for Avengers: Infinity War, which I just read descriptions of it and Mark Wolf. I, I I'm very excited for that film. Okay, but, uh, so apparently it is, and it also isn't Hugh Jackman, but it's ah. it's both is and isn't so. Make okay. of that what you will. Mm, indeed. Well, that's not coming out for a couple of years yet, I don't oh, think, geez, The Lion yeah. King. Um, well, you got Alone Aladdin, which apparently they're having real problems with trying to cast the lead in Aladdin. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like... Almost like they probably shouldn't. I I imagine, um, and this is maybe kind of cynical to say, but, like, they probably realised with the, the issues over the last couple of years of... Uh, you know, whitewashing. Whitewashing. That they can't do that. That they can't do that. Uh-huh. And um, as we found out with Beauty and the Beast, it's all fine and dandy getting someone who kind of looks like the part, yeah. but if they don't quite have the vocal range, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, God bless um, Emma Watson, she, she wasn't quite able to, you know, hit the notes yeah. of the original. So, yeah, Aladdin. Mm. Uh, Check, like, good Jungle me, Book was great. To me, to me, Aladdin, yeah, Jungle Book was great. And, like, Beauty and the Beast had some good stuff about it. Beauty and the Beast was fine except for beauty yeah yeah um like should we say to me though like see for me lion king and um aladdin are a different level of strata like they're my disney movies well i don't know like because beauty and the beast is in that the original is in that golden age oh it's in the golden age but like for me because lion king and aladdin were my two growing up that both came out when i was small uh, like I would have been very small when Aladdin came out so I wouldn't have seen it till a few years later but Lion King came out when I was about five or six so no, I fucking, suppose, yeah, yeah. you know it's uh, that's the layer where I'm like ooh not so sure about this and Aladdin it's mainly like it's not just because it was my period but it's more or less like I fucking the genie is that movie you know yeah. and like it's it's such a quintessentially well, you know Robin th- Williams performance I think Will Smith is a pretty good shout he's to, a pretty good actor you know? but like well, Robin no, Williams' performance know, is so good, like, um, but yeah, um, a lot of news coming out of that. And, and anyway, John Oliver as Zazu is uh, it's pretty great. That's you know, it's pretty I, I think they've done some pretty good. Uh, oh, they have, and having uh, Donald Glover as Simba, in it. yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. some like and recasting fucking uh, 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 Jones. What's his face? Um, oh, how am I blanking? This is CNN. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but again, here's the thing, right? That's going to be a CGI film. Yeah. You know, Aladdin is, is pure live action. Wait, you're telling me they actually aren't going to have talking lions? <sighs> I mean, they may do. <laughs> I mean, Idris Elba is, um, what's his face? James Earl Jones. That's James Earl Jones, yeah. Um, or live action in the way Jungle Book was live action, which was yeah. 95% not live action. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the so far the remakes have been, there, there have been no busts. No. I'll say that. No. Um, moving on, anyway, uh, what is next in the news, he asked himself aloud. Um, 
Oh yeah, last bit of proper news for this week. Uh, they've officially canned production of the new Nintendo 3DS, which I think was a kind of... As far as, like... People forget that with the, the PS4 Pro and the, the Xbox One X being this kind of half-step between generations, that they weren't the first to do this, that 3DS tried it a few years ago. Um... And, like, I, I'm cool with the idea, uh, in, in theory, of having a 3DS that operates a little quicker. I loved my... my the thing I loved about the new 3DS was the changeable faceplate thing. I think I would have been super into as a kid. Mm. I think that's an incredible merchandising opportunity. And some of the faceplates they had were really cool. I really liked the Yoshi one, yeah. uh, for example. The Toad one was pretty cool, too. Um, But they, they have been discontinued worldwide. Now... Um, this is probably like partly due to kind of slowly moving people away from the 3DS and onto the Switch, which they are doing incredibly slowly. I'm not 100% convinced on that. I just don't think it was selling. It wasn't. Oh, it wasn't selling either. Like I think it, the only that. times it was selling were in bundles. And the main thing was that they just didn't release enough games that required you to move to the... Like it released with... It was Xenoblade, wasn't it? Was the one at launch. And I think there's only been a handful since then. Yeah. You know what it was? It's the same conundrum that they had with, say, like the Sega CD in the mid-90s. Mid it's yeah. like, if you release kind of a new platform, but not really a new platform with only a handful of games, oh. unless it's, you know, a, a Halo uh, type game of yeah, being a, a killer console, app, as a they killer, say. Yeah. It's like, no one's going to fucking buy it, you know? Mm. Um, there's my hot yeah. take uh, probably a smart thing to do from Nintendo's point of view considering they're always worried about production resources and the cost thereof as we've always said Nintendo are a business and a business first uh -huh. and if they need to put the brakes on something they will do it Mark let's take a detour to finish off our news uh, into the release date roundup <laughs> Wind ma fucking jammers, son. Oh yeah. August 29th. Uh-huh. Kicking off busy season. August is when things start flaring up when we have Madden and the like coming out. So uh Wind Jammers will be our sports game for August, I think. It'll be my sports game for the year. Mm, indeed. Mm. Uh, very much excited for that. Mm -hmm. Hoping that the net code comes up to scratch on that. That's hey, look, the one. This jam was fine. I expect yeah. Wind Jammers will be fine as well. Um, next up Gran Turismo Sport is coming out 18th October this year so that's your big first party Sony release for the rest of the year um, pretty much God of War nope oh that's next year isn't it yep Jesus yeah everything they announced at E3 this yeah, year yeah it's all next year yeah, yeah very, it's a pretty quiet year for Sony yeah other than like I mean they fucking killed it with Horizon at the start yeah. of the year Resident Evil Horizon well that wasn't exclusive oh, of course it wasn't no um but it was VR, so yeah, I suppose they're still something. trying their 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 hand with VR. <laughs> uh, but um, ne next yeah. year, if things hit their dates next year, next year would be a pretty big year with Spider Man, God of War, uh, Days Gone. Um, I don't think Days Days they, Gone. Well, they want Days Gone to be a I thing. Nearly had a faux pas there and said Gaze Gone, Gaze Done. They're definitely pushing it like it's a big thing, and hopefully, like it turns out to be more than an impressive tech demo. But, I mean, uh, everything I've heard from people again, is it's not great. I always keep a, an open mind of these things, so we always hope for the best. Sure. But there's another cool game to play, but we'll see. Uh, Nino Kuni 2. Nino Tuni uh, is delayed until 2018, which I think surprised no one because everyone said, yeah, Nino Kuni 2. 
people went real quiet talking about that game that was supposed to be out this year. Yep, yep. So yep. that that slipped into 2018. Sorry about that, everybody who's a fan of because that those Nino Kuni games, woo, they are pretty. Uh, they are, but they're also look that first Nino Kuni, and I've said it a number of times. Of it has a lot of charm and is it really grabs you for about the first 10 hours and then boy does it just it falls down a hole mm. uh, and I couldn't get myself back out of it so no. I coming am, from a man who loves his Ghibli mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's quite something yeah I'm very much that's going to be like I need to know from other people first mm. you know Finishing off the release date roundup by firing up the Mark Robinson Klaxon. Oh, yeah. Nidhogg 2. Oh, yeah. August 15th. That's less than a month away, uh-huh. friend. Uh-huh. Excited? Well, boy, we're going to be playing some fucking Nidhogg. Have you been following the Nidhogg 2? No, I've, I've been in, what I, it is, I, I know what it on. is, and yeah. I know that it looks very much like an early uh, Atari, an Atari Jaguar game, basically, which yeah. is very peculiar in terms of its art style. And in terms of, like, that's our second Atari Jaguar reference this week. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Um, what I like is the fact that I'll be around actually to be able to play it at release and I'm hoping that I'll be able to get online and play against other people because I bought the, the original Nidhogg about six months ago and there was no one around to play it with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Nidhogg 2. We are we're fucking playing some Nidhogg 2. Right? <laughs> well, that's going to do it for all the, the news and release dates for this week and we're going to move into our cornerstone feature here on the podcast. That is the link to the cast book club where we talk about an important game uh, a discussion-worthy game from the past that we think you should either take another look at or play for the first time if you haven't already. This week, as I said in our intro, is really what I think is the red-headed stepchild of the 3D Mario uh, series and one that we I think we have a lot of thoughts on that we're going we're gonna to dig into here for a while. And it's timely in some ways that we're covering this. Uh, let's talk about it, Mark. It's Super Mario Sunshine. Super Mario Sunshine is a 2002 platform video game developed by Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo GameCube. It was first released in Japan in July 2002 and was later released in North America, Europe and Australia. It is the second Super Mario 3D platformer in the main Super Mario series overall following Super Mario 64 eight years, or six years previously in 1996. The game takes place on the tropical Isle Delfino, where Mario, Toadsworth, Princess Peach, and five toads are taking a vacation. A villain resembling Mario, known as Shadow Mario, vandalizes the island with graffiti, and Mario gets blamed for the mess. Mario is ordered to clean up Isle Delfino using a device called Flood, which stands for the Flash Liquidizer Ultra Dousing Device, while saving Princess Peach from Shadow Mario. Super Mario Sunshine, my friend. So, the 3D... Uh, Mario Fair. We've got Super Mario 64. We've got Super Mario Sunshine. 
Super Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, Super Mario 3D Land, and Super Mario 3D World. I think of this series, I, I don't think you'll find any arguments in people saying Super Mario 64 and Galaxy 1 and 2 are bona fide classics. People in particular would argue that um, the first Galaxy and Super Mario 64 are among the greatest games ever made. I think you won't find any arguments that people argue a lot about Mario Sunshine. Uh, indeed. And this is one of the reasons... Well, one of the reasons I, I bring this game up is because it is of Mario games. As far as Mario games go, it's quite a contentious one. It's, a lot of people have a lot of different takes on it. Um, They're very extreme takes. Yeah, well. very, very much. <laughs> it is It is a very marmite sort of game. Uh, um, and the other reason is because I had noticed a couple of weeks ago that we are right... At the 15th anniversary of this game coming out, which is kind of frightening to me because I got this game at launch. <laughs> Does not feel like 15 years ago. We are so old, we're old we're in chips. between the, the original. So it, uh, as I said here, so it came out in Japan this month, 15 years ago. And it came out in Europe and North America in August of that year. So we're right, as we're recording this, we're right in between those two dates. Yeah. Um. So it's a, it's a good time, a decade and a half on. And with the latest... Uh, 3D Mario on the way in a couple of months in Super Mario Odyssey. Um, to to look at this game, um, I I'll put my my kind of cards on the table here straight up. Is that I've always had a lot of love for Super Mario Sunshine, and like part of it maybe my instinct that because it's a game I quite like, and it's one that is kind of like given the short end of the stick as far as the 3D Marios go, I almost feel a need to defend it that bit more because <laughs> no one needs to defend Super Mario 64 because the people that argue against Super Mario 64 being a good game are bastards of the highest order. And the same could be said for Galaxy. But, uh, like, there are certain things I really, really like about this game and a certain amount of respect, uh, I think, is due to this game for having to follow an incredibly tough act of being an indirect sequel to arguably the greatest game ever made in Super Mario 64. Uh, Mark, as is tradition, um, run me through your kind of... Um, did you get on board Super Mario Sunshine at the beginning? Yep. Your, your brief kind of overview before we get a bit into the minutiae of it. Yeah, no, I, I was there at launch. I had a, I had a GameCube. Um, I, was I, bought, I bought a GameCube with the money I got for my confirmation. Oh, Yeah good little catholic boy that i was in school <laughs> uh yeah no, i i i was um hyped for for the release i played by that point i played mario 64 i don't know a good 20 odd times or mm -hmm. so um and was more for more of that you know mario goodness so yeah. i was very much there uh certainly because um the the game that i thought was going to be star fox for the GameCube, certainly didn't look like it was going to be Star yeah. Fox for the GameCube. Yeah. So yeah, I was uh, I was there from the start. This has been the first proper like because Luigi's Mansion was already out at this point, was it? I believe so. I think that was an early yeah early GameCube. Um, so this would have been the first Mario yeah um game because that would be considered its own sort of little franchise and as good as luigi's mansion is and i imagine someday that will be talked about on this very program it's a very different game it's a very different game but um where where do you lie on this this spectrum of takes on super mario sunshine they give me a kind of before we tackle it as a whole give me a kind of sense of where you are on this because you kind of baited the hook last week at the end of the show by saying you had some thoughts on this game um I, Which can mean a lot of things from you. That's a that's a loaded <laughs> statement from Mark Robinson. <laughs> uh, 
I think it is the the inferior Mario out of all of the 3D ones. But here's the thing, right? Mm. Um, by no means do I think it's a terrible game. It's trash and all the other Mario dumb shine and all that kind mm-hmm. of nonsense here. I think it's a great game. Like, yeah. I mean, we're talking on a scale of quality. Here. Yeah, it's a very yeah. high bar. Exactly. Uh, my, my issues that I have with Mario Sunshine mm. uh, come down to basically just the amount of padding that's involved. There's a lot yeah. of excess. Uh, There's a lot like, of overworld stuff happening here that doesn't happen. Like In terms of actually like, story building, which is a weird thing for a Mario platformer There's to do. a lot of blue coins. Yeah. There's yeah. an obscene amount of blue coins, yeah. you know? It's, it's a game where it clearly feels like, okay... Well, Mario 64, that was great. We can't uh, just do 64 too. Like, they they had... Their, that was an idea yeah. at a point during development, but... Um, I mean, it still... It feels like a spiritual successor to, to Mario... I mean, it's still Mario, but in mm. terms of the kind of format, it's all basically the same, the structure yeah. of the game. Yeah. It's just done on a bigger scale. Mm. But the problem is, is why they have got bigger in terms of, like, environments... Yeah. Um, and like some of the levels and the way they are done with like verticality and the different kind of objectives and whatnot, mm. there still feels just like there's that excess amount of padding. Like the game there's, is, is I, a little I, bit longer than it I, used to I be. think Super Mario Sunshine tries a lot of things and doesn't stick the landing on all of them. Fair. Um, and I think the blue coins is is one we'll we'll definitely come back to there as being one of those. Like you said, there's a lot of blue coins that you need to worry about if you're going to get a completionist run of this game um a lot a lot of blue coins that you trade in then in the overworld for shines yeah um for me to kind of because you had said this is your kind of the, the bottom of the the 3d mario pile for you i mean i say bottom like yeah like it's a bad thing but it's yeah. it's bottom of a series of cloud games i put this for me personally uh above only i put it above 3d land in a world okay but it's like I'm. I'm not going to argue. It's that it's better than I know better than to argue. It's better than either the Galaxy <laughs> games or Mario sixty four, which is top for me. Yeah. But I think Mario sixty four is top for me. I, I like. I say that, and I think if I'd been born five or six years later, I think I would say the exact opposite. I would say that Galaxy is distinctly the best, but because of the age I was when Super Mario sixty four came out, it has that little bit more of fondness for me, and the fact that. I didn't come to Galaxy until I already had a Wii U and played them in Wii mode because mm. I never got the Wii. Yeah. Um, that was when I wasn't really gaming that much during that period of time. Um, but anyway, uh, some of the things that I really like about Super Mario Sunshine, like you said, it it kind of tries to expand on the Super Mario 64 idea, like the, the jumping into paintings here. We have the jumping into graffiti, into different worlds. It allows us to travel to different places with different themes I like that. I like the look of this game a lot, Mark. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I think this game looks real nice. Um, I, I think a lot of the character models in it are pretty cool. I think Mario looks great in it. I think his... At the time, and this was something that... Um, speaking of reasons it's apropos to be doing this, um, Giant Bomb have started doing a series called Steal My Sunshine, where I'm not going to get into the, the rules that they've added to it, but they're basically doing a big playthrough of Super Mario Sunshine. And one of the things that Dan Reichert had pointed out in that that I think I thought at the time for sure was that this was, at the time for me, the most impressive water I had seen in a game, um, short of perhaps Wave Race. 
Um, so I was I was always quite beguiled by that. I was I was quite beguiled by the the brightness, the the vivid colors here. I think things popped a lot uh, on this better than they did say in Mario sixty four, which is also a very bright game. But I think it took the it took advantage of that boost in power and fidelity that the GameCube offered them and the CD format offered them over Super Mario 64 to yeah. make this just a more visually sumptuous kind of game. There's, there's a certain uh, cleanness or cleanliness yeah. that uh, comes across. And, I mean, the thing is, like, Nintendo have been pretty much working off of the back of... I mean, between, like, the GameCube up until the Wii U, they've yeah. pretty much been working off of the same power. You know, yeah. with slight increments in, in mm-hmm. upgrades and, and whatnot. Um, so for you're talking like the, about fifteen years there of Mario, pretty much feeling the same. You know, in terms yeah. of visuals. You know, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, like even to this day, I think that Mario Sunshine is a great looking game, only I mean, hampered the- by the the lack of HD, HDMI, and, yeah. and whatnot. I think um, the the particle physics in it are great as well. Yeah. Um, the like when you jump so, into a painting and you kind of break apart and go yeah, into it's it. awesome yeah. when you get like atomized and sucked yeah. in. Um, there's also the when Mario gets covered in the paint, the graffiti paint, and like it slowly kind of comes off him, or you can do the the spin jump shakes a little bit off you, and how it gradually does that as opposed to like if it was the N sixty four to be you do it once and it would all be gone. They yeah. couldn't like the sixty four couldn't handle kind of gradual. A degradation of something like that yeah i think it's one of the the things that people are really looking for um from the switch if they actually ever do a virtual console for the gamecube oh this would have to be one of the marquee ones you would think well it's not just that but in terms of you know upresing it oh, and yeah. getting it in in 1080 or whatever um you know, I can't imagine it would be that difficult obviously not a games designer so i can say for certain but mm-hmm. like the game already is looks great it just needs, needs to be polish a, just needs a bit of polish you know it's already very bright very mm. bold uh which is the case for a lot of gamecube games yeah uh and, and nintendo games in general uh post the n64 so f- for me i think one of the the things that people get up in arms about is flood yeah you know and it comes down to this and there's a great uh youtube series by a guy called uh, i think it's matthew mitosis uh, and he goes very much into detail for about half an hour to 40 minutes on each of the 3D Mario games. Mm. And he does on a bunch of other series as well. And he really looks into the kind of finer details of the Mario games. And one of the things he talks about is, um, you know, the key aspect of Mario games is control. It's yeah. a platforming game after all. And to this date, you've still never had as much control with Mario as you did in Mario 64, yeah. which is one of the reasons why it's still regarded as, as one of the best games of all time. Yeah, you pick game. up that game now 21 years later and it still feels yeah. crisp. Other than playing the DS version because you're stuck with a D-pad, which is not the way to play Mario, like there is a fidelity with the way that Mario controls and the way that you can move with him and maneuver him in the air. Um that you don't get with any other Mario game since. They have mm. add other bells and whistles, and I think motion control has a large part to do with the restrictions placed on Mario in later Mario games. But with Mario Sunshine, some of that maneuverability was replaced with Flood. And I don't disagree with the concept of adding Flood. It works as a mechanic. Yeah. If you want to say it works from a storyline perspective, then sure, go fucking crazy. But 
you know, the whole point of Flood there is that, hey, you've got uh, Shannon Mary running around, he's splashing all this kind of toxic paint or whatever, and you need to clean it up. And I can see how some people like, so this great platforming game is now just me going around fucking cleaning up the streets, yeah. which is not quite the case. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of reductive to boil the, the whole game down to that. Yeah, Um. so, but what you've ended up with is a Mario game which is, a lot more open, a lot more expansive, because it needs to incorporate the fact that with floods, you now kind of have a fail-safe option. You know, if you jump across, your double jump fails, and you're about to fall down a pit. You you've can, got you got the hover mechanic. Yeah. So, or you can change it between the hover, the rocket, and the the, the, the spray speed. nozzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see how some people don't like the the kind of pure organic, just feel of Mario sixty four. You know, this has been replaced with something artificial in a way i mean it has because you know flood whatever uh and so i can see how some people immediately rejected that concept Mm. and i mean we've not had mario incorporate any kind of mechanic since you know um other than the gimmicks attached with uh with motion controls you know it's pretty much just been mario since you know so i think I might be wrong, but I think a lot of it just comes down to flood. Yeah, and the fact like, that the, the the last sort of hour of that game just kind of falls off a cliff. Mm. Um, one of the things I really like about it as well, uh, and it's something that Nintendo first party games are known for: music. Oh yes, yeah, uh, the the music in Super Mario Sunshine is fucking great. Like they real nail the kind of the tropically holiday island vibe yeah. in the kind of the main overworld theme. Because, like I said, you do spend. Um, I think a lot more time in the overworld in Super Mario Sunshine than you do in the overworld of, for example, Super Mario 64. Because I think Super Mario 64, the overworld, it there is stuff to do in the overworld, don't get me wrong, but you're usually just running between paintings for a lot of that game. Um, whereas here, there's like there's, there's places to go, there's there's loads of shines to get out in the overworld, there's things to unlock, there's characters to interact with. There's even the there's the lighthouse where you go and trade in your your blue coins for shines. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to be done out there, and I think it, again it does a great job as all platformers should of uh, orchestrating music to make each world feel different. So that there's the two elements going both in terms of the visual design and the aural design here with the music that just makes every proper world uh feel a little bit different sure um so i really like that i I, i've always been a real fan of the actual design of the shines in it Mm -hmm. like i'm not necessarily advocating a permanent move to shines over stars or anything like that like stars are the the classic mario deal but um i love the design of the shines i've never had a problem with flood necessarily i think flood talks a bit too fucking much for me but then we're both people who one of our favorite games of all time is ocarina of time and if you want to talk about supporting characters who talk way too fucking much let's talk about navi for the next (laughs) 14 hours shall we Um, um but i will say this um one of the things one of the real strengths of Mario Sunshine that just gets completely glossed over is the level design. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, so complex level design. Because here's the thing, and you mentioned this earlier about just throwing things at the wall and seeing where if they stick. I think this was for this or something else. I can't remember. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that's not really the case with Mario Sunshine. Definitely became the case later on where you had like Mario Galaxy with all the different planets yeah. had like a theme, yeah. and in 3D World it's completely just fucking throw yeah. one idea. Well, like another. I, I wasn't so much saying it in terms of the, the the world design as much as it was like the different things, like the focusing more on the overworld or the the blue coin, the prevalence of yeah, the blue coin but, here. But the and... thing here is with Mario Sunshine, I don't think it's the case. They don't actually. F- throw just different random ideas they all kind of incorporate a sort of tropical feel to them mm-hmm. uh and then branch out in different ways of it and i like that it does kind of have a cohesiveness to it overall yeah um but they just the, the way the levels are, are, are designed and the, the, the kind of openness it, it, it isn't here's some mario levels go nuts it's we actually thought about these yeah i i think that mario sunshine does get overlooked to a large degree on uh how well the the levels are designed and for that matter as well um and i think this is actually usually mentioned more than anything else the kind of secret world sections where you go oh, into oh the... yeah and they take flood off you yeah those are bastard hard some of them um they definitely add an extra layer of challenge that to them i think each world has one doesn't it uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I haven't played that game completely through in a long, long time. I actually might do that. But um, but I feel that... I think it was uh, Yahtzee that pointed out that basically... Nintendo heard that everyone really liked those sections, so they basically made Mario Galaxy as those sections mm. times 100. Yeah. Uh, there might be something to it. So... Uh, one yeah. of the other things I want to talk about, uh, another... Because we kind of talked about flood as if it was the only actual mechanic of mario's that was introduced but we forgot one more that became um i think one of the fun uh, most fun ways to traverse that world and that was mario's belly flop yeah (laughs) um which is a fucking awesome little thing to like and i imagine it's a speedrunner's dream oh yeah that really increases his traversal speed and you can also do like a slip and slide thing where like so the start of the first world you go into in it, there's sprinklers pouring in the path all the way down to the little river. So if you had copped on that the game had thought this ahead of you, if you belly flop from there, if you belly flop over a slick surface in that game, you fucking bomb it at an incredible speed across there. I really try to wonder about that in real world physics. Just Mario with his like denim... Uh... Oh, he would so much friction he'd set himself on fire oh, yeah. if he actually did it. Yeah, <laughs> just dungarees, just barely torn asunder. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I I love that belly flop mechanic. It's it's really fun. Um. Kind of like spraying ahead of you with flood and then doing the slip and slide across and bashing into characters is is great fun. Um. What else is there about it? Uh, the <laughs> there's a couple of uh, notable debuts here. Uh. Well, we got flood. Uh. Toadsworth making a having a, a big part to play at the start of this game in the nominal story of this, and then the revelation. Do you remember? Because I, how long ago has it been since you played this game? Oh Jesus! Um, like a proper playthrough of it. Yeah. Uh, we're talking uh, six or seven years ago. Okay, so in Mario Sunshine, you your your main foe is portrayed as this this troublemaker around Isle Delfino called Shadow Mario, who originally, they're kind of, because he looks so like Mario, people on the island thought it was actual Mario, but it wasn't. It's this weird kind of, like, 
looks like he's covered in paint or slightly holographic Mario that you you periodically have to chase. He's got a giant paintbrush and shit like that. Uh, do you remember, Mark, who that turned out to be? Oh, it's Bowser Jr. Bowser Jr., yeah, showing up and they explains through the story that he had been led to believe until this point that Peach was his mother. Yeah. Uh, which is a lie <laughs> sold to him by one Bowser. Um, that Bowser, what a bastard. I know, but I'm telling you, he's a fly motherfucker if you look at those yeah. Odyssey trailers. Um, yeah, I... I'm a, I'm a... I'm a fan of this game, Mark. I'd kind of like start to close things up here i really think people like there there will be people who will read kind of uh, a lot of the takes the the retroactive or maybe revisionist takes in some cases on this game um who may not have had a gamecube a lot of people didn't have a gamecube mark uh, and may not may not think it's worth their while to go back to it but i like like you said even if it is the worst 3d mario game that's a really high bar. Yeah, it is still better than most games. I think a lot of the, the takes for Mario Sunshine are just to The be GameCube part. got a lot of like there's a lot there's a, several games that came out in the GameCube that at the time people were all about their hot takes on. And now people are going back and going, No, do you know what? People were really off base with that. The big one is Wind Waker. Oh, yeah, because right. at the time people wanted super realistic Link and when they saw Toon Link were like fuck this and wouldn't accept till years and years after the fact actually one of the better Zelda games yeah well, I mean look both of those both Mario Sunshine and Wind Waker have their flaws goes without saying yeah but the, the just that outright just notion of not trash it's it's just I can't respect your opinion if you say that like I said it's reductive you're, you're boiling it down to the couple of things you don't like as opposed to actually enjoying the whole experience and there is a lot to be enjoyed about mario sunshine i think uh, yeah yeah uh yeah that's that's my elevator pitch is that no kind of um fan of platforming uh should overlook the 3d mario games and the interesting things they do and how the the initial two games both mario 64 and this attempt to tussle with moving a camera in a 3d space during a platformer i think that's the other thing I would say about Mario Sunshine is that Mario 64 nails that camera better than Sunshine does. I think uh, people, not necessarily me, because I got in the habit fairly quickly of hitting that button to snap the camera behind me a lot. Mm. There are people who found the camera a bit frustrating at times in Sunshine more than they did in Super Mario 64. But if you are going to be someone who wants to be all up to date on... Uh, important platformers from the past. I think this is one you definitely shouldn't overlook, even though there there are people out there with kind of um, hot takes that you shouldn't. You're, you're also talking about it was it was a time where people were kind of starting to decry things like that as kind of baby games. Yeah, and stuff, I, I know? will say this as well with Mario Sunshine is it's surprisingly difficult. Yeah, particularly like we said, those sections where you get flood taken off you are proper tough yeah that and some of the latter levels um the bosses are fuckers yeah so i think that has to be kept in mind um Mm -hmm. there is a level of challenge um and i had one other thing as well and it's gone so yeah it's like it's i I do think it is a great game uh i do think it has a wide variety in um in terms of like objectives and levels um it has a wonderful soundtrack it's a very very much like wind waker it's just it's a it's a joyful game to play you know i mean like try listening to that isle delfino theme and not have a smile on your face yeah it's in my head right now yeah yeah 
it's it's pretty great, and I'm 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 almost certain you have put that over this segment in the in post. I give no secrets away of my post production <laughs> tricks. Mark, we've got one last bit of business before I start to wrap things up, and that is for you to reveal what the book club game will be for next week to people to maybe uh, have a look in at before we trash it out. Long now form. I'm not a hundred percent certain, but have we yet? I'm not a hundred percent certain this is a game. I I'm, have dreamt I'm it. I'm pretty sure it's a game, but have we had a game that saw its a original release on the dreamcast i don't think so but say it out loud and i'll probably remember if we did an episode on it okay well, i know i ha- think i know what you're going for we haven't done an episode on it but i'm trying to remember if we've done one because i had a look at the schedule and i couldn't see anything off the top of my head mm-hmm. but next week we're going to look we, up- we have had some by the way just kind of uh, inside baseball here we've had a couple of occasions on which we haven't re- we've picked a game before we started recording and not realized that we already did it yeah and had to in the middle of a show start to think about uh, a backup plan uh we are going to have a look at one of the uh, the arcade's finest. Yeah, um, I know what this is. I'm pretty sure. Just just pure arcade bliss that you can pick up for five minutes. Um, I get the feeling that once uh, Jack hears this, he'll probably want to talk about it. Uh, it's it's a great game. We're going to talk about Sega's Crazy Taxi. That's exactly where I thought you were going with that. Yes, and they do actually have a Crazy Taxi booth up in Token. Oh, do they? Yeah, excellent. In Dublin, shout out to Token there in Smithfield. Um, so yeah, Crazy Taxi for episode seventy-five of Link to Cast. Do you know Three quarters ta- of a century of episodes. Do you know what Crazy Taxi also as well? It's very much a Peter Willington game. Is it? You know, it's so. just it's a game that wouldn't be made today for a, a major console. You know? <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. It's not Vin Diesel Wheelman. No, no, it's not. But uh, it'll do. That's going to do it for episode 74 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, most podcast platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe there. Rate us. Review. It all helps. Please do tell a friend. Share the podcast link wherever you saw it around that wide expanse that is the internet so that we can uh, expand our echo chamber here a little bit. The website is linked to the cast.eu where you get show notes for this podcast. You get the occasional article, uh, such as Mark's article that he wrote on FirePro. And if you don't want to see it on our website, Mark, you were published in Kotaku this week talking about yes. FirePro Wrestling. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Mark Robinson making waves. <laughs> Um, if you want to get in touch with us, link to the cast at gmail.com is the, the email where you can drop in and say, oh, Mark Robinson, one of those Kotaku hacks. <laughs> you know, dickheads. <laughs> You've heard of them. Uh-huh. Um, I'm one of them. Social media, facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on Twitter. Probably the best way to hear back from us pretty quickly. Either myself or Mark would kind of be across our social media most of the day that we will see it and reply to you as soon as we're able. Uh, individually I'm at Dave Ryan IV where I have been talking today about people trying to should I be persuaded into buying Elite Dangerous or not <laughs> uh, Mark is at Lithium Project where he spent most of the last two weeks retweeting stuff from the Fire Pro Wrestling Nightmare Factory um, there's a lot of bears I see that pretty much like every wrestler now has a bear equivalent on there someone's been doing a lot of some berry good work you might I, say I feel a lot of that is inspired by the works of Debray <laughs> Indeed, a bear hug. <laughs> uh, sometimes, Mark, we stream games over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast. Archive them later on our YouTube channel. Just search on there for link to the cast, either as all one word or kind of joined up together, whichever way you want. Subscribe to us on there as well because we do have some regular content. Mark, it's that weekly time. 
where I ask you, and I'm pretty sure because I didn't see a notification pop up on my phone that I know what the answer is going to be. Mark on Mondays, the video series where Mark is solo playing through things. Sorry, what? What are we playing Wednesday? Something what? didn't... Wednesday? So- <laughs> what are we doing Wednesday? Well, Wednesday's not till tomorrow as we're recording this. So, yeah, but what's going on oh, we're Oh, you're trying to skip forward here, are you? What are you about? But what's going on Wednesday? Well, let's talk about Monday. Uh, that, it's not day of the week. <laughs> does, does Monday really exist or does it just exist in your mind? No, it definitely exists. I'm fairly certain on that. What is time? So Mark's going to finish up um, Axiom Verge at some point. I totally finished up. I need to is play it? something else now. Yeah. Oh, is it finished up now? Yeah, because I, I put... See, I put You've five... got some other stuff banked on there, though. Yeah, but... That I see when I go in we're not having behind this, the curtain. We're not having this production meeting now. Um, Retro Corner 64 is our series on Wednesdays where we're chronologically playing every single Nintendo 64 game that came out in English-speaking territories. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, good ones, I think, or at least fun ones to watch us play recently in Blast Core and FIFA 64. Is Doom 64 next? <gasps> Could be. Could be. It's one I'm of not them. sure. Doom 64 is coming up anyway, uh-huh. um, if not next. Uh, so keep an eye to that. We're starting to hit that that stride where, um, good or bad, at least the games coming out on the N64 are noteworthy to talk about so it can keep us going. They're, those are only usually like 15, 20 minute streams anyway. So they're kind of nice and bite-sized. Thursday is the day this podcast comes out. It's like an hour and a half, two hours long. So it's the only thing we put out on a Thursday so you can enjoy it, share it around, tell your friends, t- tell your family even, whatever. Uh, then we finish off the week with Friday of Plays. That's my solo series where I'm playing through stuff. Mark, I started Oxenfree this week. Which How is, is Oxenfree? Oxenfree is kind of like this 2D side-scrolling horror adventure game, I think is the best way to put it. And I hadn't actually played it that much, but I put it in either best style or best music based on all the kind of stuff I'd listened to and watched around it and the little bit I'd dabble with for a few minutes. Um, I can already tell you, Mark, this game is not what I thought it was um, in the best way possible of saying that. Um, it very much, were it not for the fact that it came out before, I would say this was a, a game very much inspired by Stranger Things. Um, there's definitely a lot of spooks to it, um, a lot of fun to it. I think the dialogue is surprisingly well written for a game like this. Um, I think... When you think 2D game and you think um, horror game, that doesn't necessarily lead you to believe that there's in-depth storytelling going on. But I'm quite enjoying the story that's being told there and the characterization that's happening with the bunch of people that you're on this island with. uh, And some of the weird stuff that's happening and some of the the things like the nature of time and reality that's already being played with. I've played about two hours of this game that I already have saved up for videos coming out uh, i would really urge people who any of the things i've said it kind of piques their curiosity to check out my video on it because uh this is one i i feel real bad for sleeping on last year and this could be if not super hot this could be one of my contenders for this year's game of last year i believe oxen free also recently came out on ios i want to say it may well do i think do. i think it has for it very much it feels like it <laughs> In a good way, because I know people think some of the characterization is a bit trite in it, but um, it feels a lot like, and I had to look up to make sure it wasn't the same studio or people. Like some of the way the dialogue is presented visually and some of the cool writing of the dialogue feels a bit like Night in the Woods. Okay. 
Um, but not quite, as, as I said, trite is a word that I, I hear or cliched mm. in, in relation to some of the dialogue in Night of the Woods. I don't necessarily feel that in this. Right. Like, there are some moments where definitely horror tropes are being lived into. There's one particularly fucking banging tune that I think will be in part two, which comes up this Friday, uh, when I'm around the, the lookout station at the top of the island, that I, I, I literally, I stopped just to listen to it as I was walking <laughs> around, it's that good, but that's Friday Plays Oxen Free. that's coming up every Friday until I finish it. That's going to do it for episode 74 of Link to the Cast for another week, uh, that man over there on the couch has been Mark Robinson, what up? I am Dave Ryan, we will see you again next week, chill out, Do what you want.